Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hello and welcome to the Autosport Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Kalanorkas. Today we're going to bring you another exclusive interview and the latest in our Thinking Forward series. So far we've spoken with several leading names in motorsport, Jean Todd, Christian Horner, David Richards, Stefano Domenicali and Alejandro Agag, asking for their thoughts on how motorsport will get through the pandemic crisis. On today's podcast, Motorsport Network President James Allen and Motorsport.com F1 editor Jonathan Noble speak to McLaren Racing CEO Zach Brown. They discuss the lessons Brown learned from managing his squad where a team member tested positive for COVID-19 at the aborted Australian Grand Prix, how optimistic he is that there will be around 15 races in the delayed 2020 F1 season, and whether we'll ever see Fernando Alonso racing again for McLaren outside of the Indy 500. Enjoy the interview. Well, Zach, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on this hashtag Thinking Forward series. We've been talking to motorsport leaders throughout the last few weeks about this this crisis and how motorsport emerges from it. I know you've got interest not just in Formula One, but across the whole spectrum. So it'll be very interesting to hear your views today. But if we start with the situation as a whole, apparently you'll be amused to hear that when you write the word crisis in Chinese, it's two characters, and that's danger and opportunity. Now, in the balance here of danger and opportunity, which way, what, what do you think motorsport's facing? Both, I think, is the, is the answer. Uh, I think as long as we all... Uh, handle it well and and lean into the problem and not run from the problem, then I think there's opportunity. I, I think it's danger if we put our head in the sand. I think it's danger if we just kind of assume everything will sort itself out. That's dangerous. And I think that's not just in motor racing. I think that's in business uh, as, as well. I think the real opportunity here is uh, Formula One and lots of motorsport. Um, not all, but lots, uh, needed 
some sort of reset. This is going to kind of force that. So we all know in Formula One, the budgets have been out of control. We knew that. We've come down to a new budget cap. That's still too much, right? It, 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 so it was headed the right direction, but this is going to force actually what Chase and team presented two years ago looks where we'll be roughly landing. It was right two years ago, but, you know, Formula One just kind of puts its head in the sand at the time. So, um, you know, same thing with uh, World Endurance. You know, Lamar absolutely love uh, sports car racing, but that too got uh, priced out. Uh, and that's why LMP1 effectively uh, dissolved sort of, of really Toyota. And then they introduced the hypercar, which I think, um, while a great concept, is still too expensive. And now it looks like we're on the verge of uh, more economical rules, which I think means Le Mans will be mega moving forward and you'll see lots of manufacturers. So I think there's opportunity at the end of the day coming out of this. And so taking it on from there, obviously there will be a new normal, as everyone is talking about. It won't be the old normal. It will be a new normal. Um, and what will be different about that as far as motorsport is concerned? Um, well, certainly if you look at it from a fan's perspective, I think, you know, you have hundreds of thousands of people at, uh, at races. That certainly doesn't seem uh, likely in the, in the short term. Hopefully, once there's a uh, vaccine, I'm hoping we will get back pretty close to the old normal. But the, the new normal, whatever that may be, I think is going to involve some level of social distancing. So, you know, you go to a, uh, a circuit, can you cram 10,000 people into a single grandstand? Are they going to have to, you know, make that 5,000 people and everyone just has a little bit more space? You know, I know sports are talking about testing before you come into um, uh, stadiums. And, uh, you know, now, uh, you know, after the um, various terrorist attacks that have taken place around the world. Now there's security going into racetracks, which uh, there hadn't been previously, right? It's like going through an airport now. So we'll, add it, we'll be added to that. Everyone gets, you know, tested to see if they have a temperature, maybe, probably. Um, so I think it'll be, and then certainly there's going to be a very high level um, of awareness, you know, when I flew back from Australia, uh, the guy behind me in the seat was uh, coughing uh, all, all flight, and and I and uh, I was with all the Formula One guys around, and uh, hopefully he was fine. But I I could tell you I was pretty uncomfortable having you know 15 hours some guy behind me coughing the whole time. I wanted I wanted to tell him to go sit in the back of the plane. So I think we're all going to have a high level of awareness. So you've had a fair degree of experience of crisis management the past few weeks. You had your team member tested positive in Melbourne. We've had the impact, financial impact on Formula One teams. What, what lessons have you learned in the past few weeks? Um, I've learned a lot, and I'm still still learning. One, you've got to have a great team around you, because when you have a large organization and you need to implement change or a decision, you need to have the right people uh, making those decisions with you. You need to have the right people carrying out those uh, decisions. You need uh, really strong communication, whether that's to employees or partners or fans, because uh, people, you know, in a time of crisis, 
people react differently, but it's scary. So people are scared and people are looking for leadership. People want to know what should I be doing? Um, so I think we've done, uh, our team's done a, a, a really good job with that, you know, clear decision-making. So when we decided to withdraw from Australia, we had made that decision coming into the weekend. So it wasn't a scenario. So I guess planning as well, trying to anticipate if something happens, what are you going to do? Not up oh, something happened. What should we do? And, and in reality, I think if you look at how Australia, the cancellation of the race went down overall, it didn't seem like the key stakeholders were very aligned around a plan going into it. It was kind of, uh Oh, McLaren's with, drawn what do we do where maybe the teams and everyone should have been more prepared for if a team withdraws what do we do and go into motion instead the teams spent you know thursday night till three o'clock in the morning um being divided on what they should do and then it was only after uh, uh, the reported phone call from from ola to withdraw mercedes that it then finally kind of tipped it one way. So I think that's what happens if you come into something not um, well prepared with all the key stakeholders uh, around you. You speak to leaders from across the automotive sectors and motorsport sectors. Where do you feel everyone's priorities are lying now as we look to the future? And do you feel there's global thinking around this or is everyone a bit fragmented still at the moment? No, I, I think from a crisis standpoint, everyone is is pretty united on how we need to tackle this issue. Of course, everyone's in different situations. So they've got, you know, how long they want to have a shutdown, when they want to start the shutdown. You know, there's, but for the most part, everyone agrees we need to not be spending. We need to be protecting our, our teams, our people, our resources. Then just where the variance comes is to how much and how quick and, and how often. Um, that's where the, the, the debates come in, but I think everyone recognizes we all want to go back racing, but we all want to go back safely. We all think it's the right thing to do to do it without fans uh, in the in the short term, just from a health and safety standpoint. I think the a uh, lot of the drivers and teams have taken to uh, digital transformation, if you want to call that, on how you consume the sport and interact with the drivers quite well. So I think people are being uh, creative. I'd like to think McLaren's kind of leading the way in that with, you know, eSports and Lando. And, um, but yeah, I think everyone is, is pretty aligned. How many GPs in, in 2020 are enough and how much movement is possible? So eight is enough what you need to have to have a, a Grand Prix. I'm, I'm optimistic we'll get in more than eight. Um, Formula One is looking at a schedule that's kind of 16 to 18. I'm a little bit more uh, pessimistic than that, I I would say if I had to go to Vegas today and place a bet, I would place my bet on 14, 15 races at 10 circuits. Um, you know, I think we will do a couple races in Austria, a couple races in Silverstone. If we start running into issues with traveling, then I think you could see doubling up some other races. I don't think that's the intention today i think the intention today is a kind of 15 circuits 18 races but i'm going to assume that we're going to hit a glitch somewhere along the way uh you know in indycar 
they've got the benefit of their kind of working in one country. So even though Austria is ready and maybe Silverstone's ready behind closed doors, you know, we don't know if a second wave will come or when we want to go to Asia, what's going to happen there or, you know, in America. So I think it's going to be when we get on planes and have to um, uh, fly overseas, that's where I think the risk will start to potentially get greater. And uh, I know there's conversation about more races in Europe. So I'd, I'd like to think we're going to get in a lot of racing. And as you know, the schedule only ever was 16 races for a long time. So to me, 14, 15 races is going to be a very complete championship, especially with how much we're going to be racing in a shorter period of time. So you mentioned a moment ago there, Zach, that obviously the Red Bull ring in, in Austria is, is ready. It's a kind of controlled environment in many ways. It is, one can see how teams could come in, be tested, be segregated. It's in the middle of nowhere, effectively, as long as the Austrian government is up for it. Um, so that's targeting early July. What part is McLaren playing in, in preparing for that? And, and do you think there's a, a high chance of probability that, that early July is feasible for that restart? Yeah, I, I think at this point we're planning on going racing um, that first week of July. I think, you know, the race is not in the city center. There's an Air Force base right at the circuit, so we can avoid going through, you know, kind of public airports. So I could see how you could really lock down the Formula One community going into an Air Force base to the track. You, you, you take over a certain amount of hotels and you make it only Formula One crew. Um, you can come back, you can fly in, you know, for Silverstone, you could probably fly into Luton and again, avoid the, the Heathrows or the Gatwicks. So I could, I could see how these first four races can go off in a very tight manner. And then I think if we can get those off and successfully, I think that will build some momentum and confidence that, you know, Hey, this is, this is working. So I'm, I'm quite optimistic that um, that's, a, that's a good plan sitting here today. So looking at F1 as a whole, do you feel the sport's done enough so far to protect all the teams? You know, I guess I'll break that into two things. I don't know if that question's more kind of health and safety or, or economic, but um, let me take both of those. Yes, on, on health and safety. I mean, at the end of the day, they're communicating a lot. We, we haven't kind of seen anything in action yet because we've not you know left our factories uh, even though we're not in our factories at the moment but they've been very supportive of us shutting down etc so they've been i would say more supportive of what the actions we've needed to take from a health and safety from an economic standpoint uh they continue to pay us um they've assisted some some teams i'm not exactly sure which teams but I think that's good because all the teams might need eventually some help. They just raised, you know, about a billion four. And I think that's a uh, rainy day um, fund for if this gets worse or the economics deteriorate even more. So I think they're doing everything they can to get us back to going racing, which protects us, you know, economically. And, you know, while they've revised their estimates to the teams on what they're going to be able to give us this year, they're continuing to, to have the monthly checks come in. So they're, they're definitely doing all they can. So I think they've been uh, very good through this crisis. How, how do you judge the kind of the attitude and the response that Liberty and Jean Todd have taken on this? Because they both, both seem to be pushing quite hard. They, they are. I'm, I'm uh, very um, 
very impressed with 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 Jean. You know the budget cap and the technical rules are are really you know Chase has signed off on those, but it's really for the FIA to implement. And Jean and Nicholas Tambazi and Peter Bayer and all the uh, Michael Massey, all the people that uh, need to support that are. They're working very hard. Uh, they're making good decisions, good recommendations. And Jean in particular is pushing very hard on the budget cap. And, um, you know, it's needed. And, you know, it, it was needed before this. I think 175, we were going to, you know, kind of just get by. And, and now he's going to reset it to a level that it should be at. But now it really has to be at. Or I think we come back to what James said earlier, I think we get into the danger zone. The situation still looks very difficult for some of the smaller teams um, on the grid. What do you think about this idea that Christian Horner suggested of customer cars, even as a, a short-term solution for the next two or three years? Um, you know, I'm not a fan of, of customer cars. You know, everyone talks about the DNA of Formula One, and that is people being their own constructors. I think people have pushed the boundaries on that of, of recent where they may have built their own car, but they built someone else's car. Um, so, you know, I think that's something that needs to be uh, addressed. I think, um, you know, if it's about uh, cost and that's their solution, and then I think it's a, it's a Band-Aid solution because as soon as you, you know, when do you come out of then allowing customer cars and then you're right back where you are and as James said you know the new normal is not going to be what the old normal was so it feels to me like a, a band-aid fix where it, it um, may solve a problem for a year or two but then we're right back to where we were I would say if we went that direction because those customer cars you know a year old car gets kind of thrown away then I'd be advocating that they should donate those cars if they really want to you know, suggest that's a cost. There's no cost to them. They've got all the stuff. They've done the R&D. They have the spares. Then they should give it to their customers and not charge them because that wouldn't be costing them money. And then if they really have the intention of saving money from the customer teams, give them the car. Do you feel that the current F1 business model will be sustainable when we, we have the new normal? Or do you feel that F1 needs a big revamp of the way that the income comes in, the way that the teams are spending? You know, we could certainly run at a higher budget cap if the money was distributed more equitably, you know, and it's not. So you kind of have can't have your cake and eat it too. So I think what's been uh, presented, this $130 million, uh, cost cap, uh, I think that works. I think that is a lot of money. I think people need to remember that, there is about another 70 to 150 million, depending on what team you are, that you spend on top of that. So the cost cap is not just 130, it's 200 to 250, depending on who you are. That is an immense amount of money uh, to put on a, uh, you know, two race cars and to put on a good show. Um, but I think it works. I think if you wanted to raise it, then I think you need to look at more equitable distribution of the money because as you raise it teams can't afford it um but you know i've never begrudged the teams uh making money no one does but you, you know it should be like other sports franchises where 
it's sustainable. And if you can make a few bucks for your shareholders along the way, great, but you certainly shouldn't have your shareholders as mine have done for years and years and years pouring tons of money in. That's not sustainable. Zach, if we broaden the, the conversation out a little bit into some other areas, you, you've already touched on IndyCar and Le Mans. Let's, let's have a look at those for a moment. We spoke, as you know, on this hashtag Thinking Forward series to Gerard Neveu and Pierre Fillon. Um, about um, a number of things, including the new LMDH rules, which mean you can race the same car at Le Mans and, and in the States as well in IMSA. Do these developments make McLaren more likely than ever to, to come back to Le Mans, which of course you won back in the 1990s, I was there, I remember it very, very well, and, and to race in IMSA or World Endurance, etc.? Yeah, I think um, the rules are, are, are great. There was a big technical meeting yesterday, and I think between uh, the ACO, FIA, and IMSA, they've landed in an ideal state. So, you know, congratulations uh, to them to landing on a kind of unified set of rules that I think are extremely uh, appealing. Um, I do think, you know, put aside uh, the situation that we're all in right now. So, you know, McLaren entering new forms of motorsport is not a conversation we're having today because of what's going on. Put that aside, do the rules make it uh, much more attractive to McLaren, our desire to want to come back to uh, sports car racing? Absolutely. Now what we need to do is, you know, see when we get through this crisis, what the new world looks like, what does Formula One look like, and then, like any time we enter a new form of motorsport, it's all about you know timing, being prepared, being uh, affordable. But the rules, as they've laid out, are definitely something that uh, get McLaren excited. Now we just got to see how the the world plays out or, uh, around us. And in the landscape of of motorsport that emerges after this crisis, how important a pillar is the Le Mans Twenty Four Hours? Oh, it's, it's, it's huge. You know, it's one of the biggest races in the world, right? You've got, you know, Monaco, Formula One, you've got uh, Indianapolis and, uh, you, you know, uh, Le Mans, at least from a, a McLaren perspective, right? If you're a, a rally driver, you, you, you might add uh, Rally Finland to that list or Rally Monte Carlo. But from a McLaren standpoint and our DNA, it's critically important. It's, uh, it's a massive race. I love it. Uh, as you know, I, I race there with uh, uh, United Autosports. So uh, Le Mans is a, a regular fixture uh, for, for me. And, um, you know, we've got a great automotive business. And sports cars is very complementary to that business. We have a GT3, a very successful GT4 uh, racing program. And, and certainly uh, have a desire to uh, get back to Le Mans. And on the IndyCar side, obviously changes in, in management and ownership there. Roger Penske certainly knows everything there is to know about that racing series. So do you feel that series is well-placed to emerge strongly from this crisis into the future? Yeah, definitely. There, there is, a, you know, Roger's my hero in, uh, in motorsport and, and, and business. Started off as a driver, built a business out of racing built his racing out of his business. They work closely together. So I um, uh, really admire how he's, uh, and he's a racer. Um, I don't think we could have someone better owning IndyCar, especially what's going on right now. Um, the leadership that he provides to the sport, you know, I'm on the, the team owner calls, 
you know, he, he's on it. Um, he has a great team around him. He's a great communicator. And, um, you know, Indianapolis is his legacy. So he is going to be building IndyCar and the Indianapolis 500 for the good of the sport. And um, there's no better person to do that. So I'm very bullish on the future of, of IndyCar. And that's a series that already had, you know, Mark Miles and Jay Fry have done an excellent job. The cost containment there, the competitiveness. I think the on-track product of IndyCar is where we want to see Formula One from a competition standpoint. Not from a technical specification. Don't get me wrong, Formula One's Formula One, IndyCar's IndyCar. What I mean by that is you have 17 races. The big teams always win the championships, but you have three or four surprise winners a year. So when you show up to the Detroit Grand Prix, you kind of have a good idea who's going to win. By the way, it could be about 10 drivers, not four or five. So they've got double the depth. But then... Drivers, if you want to call it 10 through 15, one of those guys is going to sneak in a win two, three times a year. That'll never happens in, in Formula One. I can't remember the last time there was a surprise winner of a Grand Prix. So if we can get the competition closer, then I think you'll have the, you know, the big team still winning the championships, but the odd, you know, Hungarian Grand Prix, you know, Team X won. And we had that almost this year in, in Germany and Brazil, but we shouldn't have to have total chaos drive a surprise win. It should be maybe a bad pit stop, a bad day at the office, not total carnage uh, delivers a, a race, uh, a surprise race winner. Zach, so on the IndyCar front, we've got Fernando, you've got Fernando Alonso coming back for another attempt at the Indy 500. If there's a third McLaren available for road courses, could we see Jensen Button or Jimmy Johnson? Having a go? You could see that. Um, you know, I, I've spoke, and, and you, you know, I'd add Fernando to that list. I've spoken with uh, all three of them. Uh, all three of them uh, really enjoy uh, IndyCar racing. Uh, all three want to race. All three are extremely competitive. I think IndyCar now has just come out with a uh, testing restriction. So, unfortunately, <clears throat> that might make it this year more difficult because I don't think any of those would want to just jump into a car, you know, cold in Friday practice. I, I think um, they're all too professional and know the sport's too competitive to think that they could just hop in without uh, an appropriate amount of testing. But uh, I would say all three of those drivers, um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see one or all three in an Indy car at some point. I think that would be very exciting. Looking at other series as well, we've seen Audi pull out of DTM. Um, this week, um, citing the coronavirus impact. Does it make you worry that manufacturers you know, could see now as a, a good time to, to get out with, with you know, a, a decent explanation? Yeah, it worries me for, for all teams, not even you know, just manufacturers, right? Manufacturers are, are, are a business and they need to make business decisions. And, you know, Formula One teams, you know, those teams are owned by business owners that, you know, also um, have the same crisis. So I don't think it's limited to just manufacturers. I would think Gene Haas's business is impacted by this and Finn Rousing's business is impacted by this. Um, but yeah, I think, and I think that's why we need to bring the cost down 
quickly is you only withdraw from things that are no longer necessary because you're looking at what gives you the best value for money. And if things are too expensive and you have to cut, you cut the things that, you know, you kind of, here are the 10 things I'm doing and you start cutting the things that give you the least value for money. If you bring what it costs you to run Formula One or another form of motorsport down, in theory, you're, you're in it because you think it delivers value for money. If you bring the costs down, it starts moving up the, the list of it's returning better value for money. And uh, that's why we need to do um, you know, this budget cap specifically in Formula One uh, immediately. And Zach, we know we're running out of time here, but just one final question to you. Obviously, we've spoken to a number of leaders in this hashtag Thinking Forward series who've argued that we need now to consolidate. We touched on it earlier on and just have fewer series that are strong and have competitive grids. Do you see that coming as an inevitable consequence of this crisis and how should it be managed? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, unfortunate. Um, you know, DTM is a great racing series. Uh, you know, Gerhard's a, a personal friend and, um, you know, feel terrible. He's now left with, with one manufacturer. So that's, you know, he's going to have to, you know, reinvent DTM quickly and, and what, a, you know, to do that in a time of crisis um, is, is no easy feat. So it needs to reinvent itself or unfortunately DTM, uh, I think it was in the 90s, uh, took a hiatus. I, I think, you know, you have your Formula One, your IndyCar, your sports car racing. Uh, Stefan Rattel's uh, GT3 and GT4 has been immensely successful. Uh, Formula E, of course, and I can kind of go on and on of, of these great racing series that, you know, you hate to see any racing uh, not make it, but I think reality is that what will happen. But I, I do think the Strong will get stronger coming out of this, and unfortunately, you know, the weaker uh, won't. So, I think good news is there's lots of racing around the world that's very exciting, and as long as those leaders and teams handle this crisis in the right way, they should all come out stronger on on the flip side. Zach, as always, thank you so much for making time for us today to join us on this hashtag Thinking Forward series. Stay safe and uh, good luck getting that first Grand Prix underway in early July. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Well, I hope you enjoyed the latest interview in our Thinking Forward series and thanks very much for listening. Tell us what you think of these shows on our social media channels using the handle at Autosport. And if you're enjoying this series, we'd love you to share it with someone who would also enjoy it. Finally, do remember to check out all of our news stories and features on autosport.com and motorsport.com. And thanks very much to our editor, Martin Lee, for editing this episode. Music is 6am by Trilo. Written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com slash Trilo Music.
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.